Thanks for joining the Inspired Churches podcast. If this is your first time listening in, we're glad you're here. For more information about our church, visit www.inspiredchurches.com. Now, let's listen to the word from Pastor Philip Mwella. I've never done before during the Christmas season. And I'm excited not just to do it myself and with my family, but I'm also excited to do this with my church family. So for the next six weeks, I want to invite you and your family and your friends to consider stepping into something different. Instead of stepping into the Christmas season, I would like you to consider stepping into what we call the Advent season or the season of Advent. Now, I don't know about you, but the commercialization of Christmas has fallen short of its true meaning. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Christmas. Does anybody here love Christmas? We, right, we really love Christmas. Some of you don't love Christmas. Is there anybody else here that loves Christmas? If you love Christmas, just clap or smile so I can see you. Thank you. I love Christmas, and I love everything about it. And I said this a couple weeks ago. We love Christmas so much that we do Thanksgiving dirty. Right? It's like we go Halloween to Christmas. How many of you guys had your tree up before Christmas? Raise your hand. Any type of decorations or lightings, you had it up before Christmas. Yeah, I see you guys. What about before Thanksgiving? What about after Thanksgiving? How many of you guys are maybe the day after? How many of the, the night of, right? And so it's so crazy because it's like we don't even give Thanksgiving like 24 hours anymore, right? Because Thanksgiving's got about six hours and then it's Black Friday. Right, and, and we're preparing for Black Friday. My wife and I are driving home from my uh, family's house in Tracy, and we live right next to the outlets out there in uh, Livermore. And as we're driving home, and it's, it's, it's still Thanksgiving. It's only like 10 p.m. at night, and the traffic is terrible because people are lining up to go to the outlets, right? And so, you know, we go from Thanksgiving to Black Friday, and then we wake up Saturday morning to find uh, YouTube videos of people hurting each other. And, um, but that's kind of what we do. And then we kind of bypass Thanksgiving. We go straight to Christmas. Um, now, I love Christmas. I love gifts. Your pastor loves gifts. You should bless him. He prays for you. He brings a message for you and your family every Sunday. <laughs> I love gifts. I love trees. In fact, Thanks to my mom, bless my family. Jamila and I were talking. I was like, babe, we got to get a tree this year. And she's looking at me like, yes. And I was going to get a tree. My mom ended up buying one for us. And so, we, yeah, so we're going to have our first tree. We've never had a tree in our house, a little six-foot tree. Yeah, we're so excited. There's one back there. So I love trees. I love lights. Anybody love eggnog? I'm an eggnog. Now, some of you, I know it's like gasoline and paint, you know, mixed together. But I absolutely love eggnog. I love Buddy the Elf. You know, I'm excited that he found his father. I love the sights and the sounds, the movies, the cartoons, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman. I mean, I, when it comes to the Christmas season, um, my heart is just full of joy. But here's what I found, and I think that many of you will agree. This season and all that its promises are only shadows. This season and all that it promises are only shadows of something greater and more complete. And if we are not careful, we can get caught up in the shadow that we miss the greater reality. 
If we are not careful, we can get caught up in the shadow that we miss the greater reality. Now, I was doing some research, and I came across something called the Christmas Blues. And it's not a song. Now, listen to this description. The stress of the holidays trigger sadness and depression for many people. This time of the year is especially difficult because there is an expectation of feeling merry and generous. According to the National Institute of Health, they write this. Christmas is the time of year that many people experience sustained blues and even depression. Now watch this. The National Health Institute writes this. Hospitals and police forces report high incidence of suicide and attempted suicide during this time. Psychiatrists, psychologists, and other mental health professionals report a significant increase in patient complaining about depression during this time. One North American survey reported 45% of its respondents dreaded this season. So as we simultaneously enter into the Christmas season, we are also entering into Advent. And so I want to talk a little bit about what Advent means. And to talk about what Advent means, I'd like to offer you two things. In the next six weeks, I want to offer you two things. I want to offer you a warning and an invitation. A warning that says... Without the help of Advent, we can turn Christmas into something it is not. That if we put our hope in trees and lights, carols and presents, that even the commercials and movies, if we put our hope in the kind of joy that they bring, you know the movies, the movies that make you feel good, the movies that suggest that everything is going to be all right on Christmas, that that auntie or that uncle that you've been fighting with, all of a sudden you're going to come together and something magical and special is going to happen during Christmas. Even if the commercials and movies promise us a kind of joy, we must remember that shadows cannot deliver the kind of peace we are are looking for I'm going to say that again here's the warning we must remember as we enter into this season that the shadows cannot deliver the kind of peace that we are looking for lastly I want to offer an invitation and here's the invitation and don't get offended by this invitation stay with me the invita invitation asks us to do this to look at Christmas to look behind Christmas and to look beyond Christmas. That's what Advent is. It's an invitation to enter into the whole story and not get caught up in a shadow. Now, the word Advent derives from the Latin word Adventus and from the Greek word parousia, meaning coming. Advent simply means coming. The Latin word is Adventus, the Greek word is parousia, and it means coming. And as we observe Advent, there are three important components that I want to guide us through. Three important components. And if you're taking notes, it's going to be really simple. The first one is remembrance. During Advent, we remember. The second one is anticipation. During Advent, we anticipate. And the third one is realization. During Advent, we realize. Three components. Remembrance, anticipation, and realization. 
Well, during Advent, we remember what is behind us. We commemorate the coming of Christ 2,000 years ago, baby Jesus, the wise men, and the no room in the inn. And we drive around, and sometimes it's rare, but we see little nativity scenes, and we commemorate what happened behind us. We remember what happened in the past, long ago, the coming of Jesus. Yet we also anticipate as the church and look forward to the day when Jesus will come again he will come again and he will return to his people and he'll fully restore the kingdom and he'll fully restore this earth to a place that the shadows can't give you don't fall in love with a shadow because it does not give you everything that it promises so we remember what's behind us we commemorate the nativity we look back but we also look ahead to the day when Jesus will advent again, when he will come again. Finally, we realize. Well, what do you mean by realize, Phil? Glad you asked. That's so cheesy, and I just said it. I typically hate when it happens, but we realize that we are in a very unique place as a church in history. This is important. We realize right now, you and I are in a very unique place as a church in history. You know what that unique place is? We are in the between stage. Did you know that? We are between the fulfilled promise of Christ's first coming and the yet to be fulfilled promise of his second coming. So we are, we are in what some people call the already but not yet. It's weird, right? Do you understand how we're in a unique place as a church? Christ came once, but he will come again and we find ourselves in that awkward middle place. We are in the place of already, but not yet. There's a quote from a catechism that I think best describes the next six weeks here at Inspire. And the quote says this, when the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expectancy of the Messiah, for by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, the faithful renew their ardent desire for his second coming. Let's say that again. When the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expectancy of the Messiah. For by sharing in the long preparation of the Savior's first coming, the faithful renew their adamant desire for his second coming. So for the first four weeks, remember it's a six-week series. For the first four weeks of our series, we'll be stepping into the hope and expectancy of ancient Israel's awaiting a Messiah. And then on Christmas Day, we'll celebrate the coming of that Messiah. And finally, on New Year's night, which I hope you all plan to be here, we'll look forward to the second coming of Jesus, so the second advent for his church, when he will come back and consummate the ages once and for all. So this morning, and for the next four weeks, we're going to take a look back. This morning's message, really the entire series is called Hope is on His Way, but this morning's message is called Hope for a deliverer. Since the moment sin entered into the world, humanity has always longed for deliverance. And since the moment sin entered into our world, God has always promised a deliverer. In fact, this is what the entire Old Testament is about. It's the story of an enslaved people looking for emancipation. 
It's a story characterized by hope, anticipation, watchfulness, and waiting. But it's also a story haunted by exile, slavery, and unfulfilled expectations. And so we start off this morning's Advent series by looking back at one of the most important events in the history of Israel and really in the history of the world. And that is the Exodus. Now if you're with me, let's turn to Exodus chapter 1 and we're going to start off with verse 8 and we're going to read all the way down to verse 14. I may pause quickly, but stay with me on there. So Exodus chapter 1 verse 8. This morning we will start off our Advent series by looking back at one of the most important events in Israel's history, the Exodus. The Bible says this, Exodus verse chapter 1 verse 8 says this, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Stay there, I got to explain this. Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, one whose name was Joseph. Now, Joseph goes through hell because he's Jacob's favorite son, and his jealous brothers ultimately sell him into slavery, where he ends up incarcerated in Egypt. But through a miraculous turn of events, and obviously God's hand, Joseph grows from a pit to a prison to a palace, and while in jail, ultimately wins the respect of the Pharaoh by interpreting his dreams. Crazy story. Some of you who never read it before, go back and read it. It's crazy. So he interprets the Pharaoh's dreams, and as a result, Joseph is placed in second in command over all of Egypt, and he's positioned by God to save his family from a famine by moving them into Egypt. So by the time Exodus 1 rolls around, where we're at right now, over 400 years have passed, Joseph's now dead, and his family has grown into a nation almost 2 million strong. Isn't that amazing what took place? See how God started off with one man and one family? And now we're rolling forward. And this family now is a nation. And they're in Egypt. But the scripture says the Pharaoh had died. A new Pharaoh had come that did not know Joseph or his family. Now let's continue. Exodus chapter 1, 8 through 14. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities. Python and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Five descriptors define this period of Israel's history, and I'm going to tell them to you. Number one is they were dealt with shrewdly. They were afflicted with heavy burdens, and ruthlessly made into slaves. You got that? So they were dealt with shrewdly. They were afflicted, that's number two, with heavy burdens, that's number three. Number four is they were ruthlessly made to work as, number five, slaves. You know, it's really crazy, just a quick side note before I get into Pharaoh and the Egyptians were so afraid of Israel because of their strength. 
they had multiplied, like I said, to almost two million strong. They were so afraid that they began to shrewdly deal with them, harshly deal with them, increase burdens. And if we continue to read, and I don't, I don't have that in my notes, and this is just a side note, the Bible says that Pharaoh even instructed the midwives of the Israelites that every time an Israelite woman would have a son, they would take the baby and throw the baby off the cliff. Right? They would take the baby and throw the baby off the cliff. Um, I'm going to say something that might be a little disturbing for some people, and we can talk later if you'd like to personally, but um, government-instituted abortions were, have always been around. It's a way to oppress a people. It's a way to keep a people down. It's always been around. Remember when Jesus was born? Remember what, what the decree that Herod gave? Basically abortion, right? Of course, they didn't have the technology to go before the conception, but the decree was go and chill, kill the children that are five and under. Do you understand? Let's continue. Verse 10 says this. They were dealt with shrewdly. The Hebrew word for shrewd means wisely. So it says that the Egyptians dealt shrewdly with the Israelites. It means that they dealt wisely with them. Well, what does that mean? In other words, the Egyptians were strategic with their oppression. It means that when it came to the Israelites, the Egyptians had to be clever and calculated, ensuring that they'd be able to suppress them without waking a sleeping giant. Verse 11 tells us that they afflicted them with heavy burdens. The Hebrew word ana or afflict means to look down upon or browbeat. In other words, their taskmasters were given permission to use both physical and psychological tactics to demean and dehumanize the Israelites. They were given permission to browbeat, talk down to. How many of you in here have, have maybe you feel, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know what it means to be physically abused. But I'm going to tell you something. When somebody verbally abuses you and manipulates you, dehumanizes you, and you put those two things together and what you have is a psychological bondage the Bible says that they were given heavy burdens in other words they were given hard labor hard labor capped it all off and it helped to ensure that the busyness and the doings of work would prevent Israel from true rest and true fruitfulness and lastly in verse 14 scripture says that they were ruthlessly made to work as slaves some translations use the word rigor instead of ruthless. The Hebrew word here means severity. It comes from a Hebrew word, root word that means to break apart or fracture. They were strategically broken apart. Their mind, their body, and their spirit. What we are describing in these first several chapters is a very well thought out and planned systematic denial of human rights. You hearing me? What we are discussing and what we are looking at and what we are seeing in Exodus in these first several chapters is a very skilled and well thought out plan to systematically, governmentally deny the human rights of an individual. To break them down and fracture them, to remove their identity, to keep them enslaved so that the sleeping giant would not awake and realize just how strong they really were. 
This wasn't just the slavery of the body, ladies and gentlemen, but it was the captivity of the mind. The denying of their humanity and the eliminating of their self-worth. 400 years of this. Can you imagine how worthless they felt about themselves? Listen, this is important. Hear me out right here. This was the kind of oppression that makes strong people weak. Because it causes you to forget your strengths and focus on your weakness. Now, I want to pause here real quick to observe something. The people of God are no strangers to oppression. Can I get an amen? The people of God, not just the, Egypt, not just the Israelites, but you and I, we are no strangers to oppression. Hear me, just because you are God's child does not mean that you are shielded from hardship. In fact... There may be many of you in here this morning that feel like you've been wrestling with some sort of bondage and you may even feel like it has successfully gotten you to identify more as a slave than as a child of God. Just because you said yes to Jesus does not in fact mean that you said yes to walking away from all oppression and bondage. If we read the scriptures you will see that we are a people and we come from a people that have always been enslaved and in bondage because the enemy hates the sleeping giant. Do you understand that? So if you even feel like you're in a bondage moment right now, you must realize that you are not identified by your bondage. So let us find peace and comfort as we read on. Let's go to Exodus chapter 2 now. Once again, we're observing Advent, so we're going to go in and out of this. Exodus chapter 2. And let's read verse 23 through 25 together. Well, I'll read it. You can follow along. And it should be up here as well. Scripture reads like this. During those, I'll wait for you to get there. I still hear papers. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Somebody say hallelujah. Now hear this out. And God, hearing their groan, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Really interesting, right? Five descriptors define how God responds to the cry of his children in captivity. God hears. God remembers. God sees. And God knows. Verse 25 reminds us that God knows. Did you know that? He knows. The Hebrew word know means yada, or it, it is yada. It indicates a profound and intimate understanding of the circumstance and situation. It paints a picture of a God who is not surprised, nor is he a stranger to what is going on in our lives, our hearts, and our minds. He knows 
intimately. His knowing not only implies his understanding of your unique circumstance, but it also reminds us that he is not surprised, nor is he wondering what he should do with you next. Scripture tells us in Hebrew that we don't serve a God. We don't have a great high priest who doesn't understand what we've gone through. But he went in every way. He went through the same things that you and I went through, yet he did not sin. Take comfort. God knows what you're praying for. He knows what you're asking. He knows what you're feeling. When you're in your bed at night crying and shouting out and you think that nobody is listening, God hears your heart. He knows your heart. God knows what you're feeling. God, here's the crazy thing, God knows what you're feeling. God knows what it feels like. And God knows what to do. Isn't it crazy because we can, we can probably connect with two of those three. Right? God knows what it feels like. You know what it feels like. God knows. God knows what it feels like. And God knows what you're feeling or how you're feeling. And you can connect with that because you know how you're feeling. But the one thing you probably can't connect with that God can is God knows what to do next. God knows. Verse 24 says this, God remembers. In fact, whenever scripture says that God remembers someone or he remembers a covenant he made with someone, it indicates that he is about to take action on that person's behalf. As people of God, we should always fight. Hear me out. As a people of God, we should always fight the temptation to believe that God has abandoned or forgotten about us, even in the midst of our darkest moments. We should, maybe should is the wrong word, <laughs> so tough sometimes, right? We can find joy in knowing that God never forgets the covenant he's made with his people. Now listen, this scripture says the covenant he made with Abraham. God never forgets the covenant and those that are a part of the Abrahamic line by blood or by faith. And that's you and I. We are a part of that by faith. Verse 25 tells us that God sees. He not only understands the pain. He not only remembers his promises. But he is very visibly watching and aware of everything that is happening. He is not closing his eyes. He is not turning a blind eye. Because he can't stomach it. But he is very much visibly aware and he's present in your situation verse 24 tells us God hears no tear goes unseen and no voice lifted up and crying out loud goes unheard many times especially in most difficult moments it feels like our prayers bounce off the walls and failed to get outside of our bed. You ever been in that place? I have. It feels like your tears, your cries, your shouts, and your pains don't leave the pillow that you're screaming into. 
it seems as though our cries are useless and that nobody is around to hear them. Yet we see in this story that not only does God see your cry, but he also hears it. Rest assured, in our darkest moments and deepest captivity, God knows, God remembers, God sees, God hears. And I want to add one last thing this morning. God intervenes. Let's turn over to the next chapter, Exodus chapter 3. And I'm only going to read two verses here. I mean, this story is so intense and I will do an Exodus series soon and we'll get actually get actually get all the way through it like I did but this I again there's so much here but I, I just want to capture this Exodus chapter 3 1 verse 2 oh Exodus chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 says this remember God remembers God knows God sees God hears and I want to add God intervenes Exodus chapter 3 verse 1 says this, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. How many remember that story? Moses is in the backside of the wilderness leading his father-in-law's sheep, and all of a sudden he comes to a bush that's burning but not consumed. And as he takes a closer look, the God of the universe speaks to him. It's interesting. The first two verses in this chapter, this chapter that immediately proceeds God's awareness to Israel's need for deliverance, is about the man whom God will call to deliver. I'm going to say that again. God knows, God sees, God hears, right? But he also intervenes. It's interesting. The first two verses in this chapter, and this chapter immediately precedes the chapter where God talks about his awareness of Israel's need for deliverance. This chapter, coincidentally, or maybe not purposefully, is about the intervention of God. It's about God now calling the one who will deliver them. I've heard them, I've seen them, I remember them. Now I am calling the one who will come and rescue them. God will come to Moses by way of a burning bush, and he will declare, I've heard the cries of my people. I've determined to deliver, deliver them, and you are my chosen vessel in whom I will do it through. Interestingly enough, this chosen vessel, when he is called by God, will be called while he's displaying faithfulness to his father-in-law as a shepherd of his sheep. Pretty interesting stuff. I say that again slowly and we have a worship team make their way up or just our guitars this morning. I want you to think about this for a second. God will call Moses and look at the job description of Moses. He's working for his father, taking care of his sheep. And was like, huh? <laughs> He's working for his father, taking care of his sheep. It is a type and a shadow of Christ to come. Working for his father, taking care of his sheep. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who comes down on behalf of his father's will to take care of his sheep. Are you with me? Now, as we enter into the joy of the holidays, 
I want us to remember that Advent is intended to be contemplative and fasting. I want you to know something about Advent during this season. Remember I told you, be careful you don't celebrate the season without Advent. Because if we celebrate the season, we can get caught up in the shadow and overcome by the joy that will not come. Your family member, you probably will get into an argument on Christmas. Right? You're like, wait a minute, I watched the movie that said we were going to reconcile. Right? Everything will probably go wrong and not right. Right? You'll probably go shopping last minute. You may be on World Star for getting into a fight. <laughs> playing. Just playing. Hopefully you're not. And everything that you thought Christmas was is supposed to be. A loved one may pass in this season. Or one maybe has already passed in this season and you are carrying the hurt and the wound of that into this season. It may not be everything that it was commercialized and packaged for it to be. Your family may not be this one beautiful family all getting together. Do you understand how this season for some people is not as fun as the way everyone else tries to make it out to be? We could fake it till we make it. But in the end, we're lonely, we're hurt, and this season just compounds the wound. And that's what happens when you put your joy in a shadow. Because a shadow can't give you what the reality was intended to give you. So as we enter into the joy of the holidays, I want us to remember that the Advent is a time of contemplation and a time of fasting. It's a time when we should be mindful of the shadow. We should be mindful of the violence in our world. And it's a time we should remember that although the commercials and the businesses and the department stores and the Starbucks cups are all presenting to you a kind of joy, that it's not the reality in our worlds. It's not the reality in your worlds. Your marriage might be on the rocks in this season. You may be lonely in this season. And as we walk the streets and we try to enter into this make-believe season, don't get caught up in the shadow. Be mindful in this season. In the next six weeks, we will be mindful. We will be a church that is mindful of what the shadow can do. We will be a church that understands the reality of broken people standing next to us. Smiling and pretending to be entering into the joy of the season. Now, I'm not chastising you for being happy with Christmas. I love Christmas. I'm asking that you would love Christmas, but also enter into the season soberly. Yeah, sober. <laughs> but it's a time where we should be mindful of the violence in our world. It's a time where we should be reminded that evil and injustice should cause us to cry out for something greater. It's a time where our captivity and our hurt and our pain and our bondage, our very real bondage, is a reminder that we should cry out and long for something better. This can't be it. It's like the children of Israel in bondage. Why were they in bondage? God, why would you allow your children to do that? Because it produces a cry. It produces a reality. Hold on, it produces, let me get through this. It produces the reality that you cannot do it on your own. You need something bigger and greater. Yeah. 
We should be reminded in this season that there are evils and atrocities that are going on in the world. We should enter into the exiles of Christians all over the world and non-Christians. And as we voted this year and we wanted to make sure we close our borders, I understand that. But we should be mindful that there are people who are running for their lives in other countries. And I'm not making a political statement. Please don't leave here and get this twisted. I just want you to be mindful that there are people that are in exile right now. As you strut and walk around and enter into this false joy. Evil and injustice should cause us to cry out for a God that makes things right. Our present exile in such an evil, evil world should create inside of us a desire to look forward to a future exodus. When God will once and for all send his good shepherd to deliver his people out of the darkness and into the light. So as we begin Advent together, there are three things I want to challenge us to do. Number one is remember those who are captive. Number two is realize our own bondage. And number three is anticipate the day when Jesus will come again and set us free. And as I asked Naomi to make her, Noemi to make her way up. actually have you stand up here. She's going to present something and then I'm going to get back on the mic. But three things I want you to remember during this Advent season. I want you to remember those that are captive. I want you to realize your own captivity and bondage. You may not be shackled physically right now, but there might be some sort of mental thing you're battling with. And then I want us to pray. As I look around and I begin to see all that surrounds me, I realize I'm seeking answers from the same thing that has bound me. The love of money unraveled my belief in his word. Now unbelief is what drowns me. See, most people don't understand. They say that I am free now. Yes, my hands have been freed, but there is a war in my mind. They label me a survivor, but I feel as if my only desire is to be a slave again. How is that so? Well, let me take you back. Not too many years ago, I made a decision to enter into a prison where the only walls that existed were in my mind, and I call them fear. I was forced to exchange my body for hundreds of hundred dollar bills, and I was introduced to pills that only made me feel one thing, and that thing was nothing. I was emptied of every single thought I ever had about life. No longer did there exist a wrong or a right. I was beat in the day and I was sold at night. Money was not enough, he wanted my soul. I was trapped in a world of slaves, but because they seen no whips or chains, they just called us paid. I passed people in the streets and in the stores, but they had no idea about this underworld where men prey on the weak and us women are not allowed to speak in a world where time is money, where hearts are empty but pockets are full, pimps are masters and women are ruled. It's called a game, but there are no rules. 
I sold my soul for material things and his financial wishes, but in the end, I was left with a broken heart, and it reminds me of broken dishes. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't, pe couldn't put the pieces back together again, and God knows I tried. I began to hear the truth day and night, but even then I was reminded of the lies. I could see the enemy waiting on my demise. He had become a master of disguise. I was so desperate for love that I accepted the beatings along with the hugs. God, are you there? I've been crying for you, but I don't think you can hear. And this burden is far more than I can bear. I still heard nothing. But moments after, I began to think back about everything I had been through. I couldn't see much meaning at all, but I knew it couldn't be simple. So many times I should have died, and although I was in the storm, God protected me from the tide. I didn't receive much, but after a few months, I began to realize his grace was enough. My eyes couldn't see what God didn't allow to happen. I only seen what already occurred. My vision was blurred, I only seen partially. I realized he heard and witnessed this larceny. He made a way out. But not just for me, for the one that is still stuck in doubts. There's certain things in my life I didn't understand, like why God allowed me to go through all this without reaching out his hands. And now I realize the whole time he carried me, past the valley of death where they could have buried me. Grace is enough. As we pray, here's my challenge to you. This is not some thousand-year-old story that doesn't exist today. Chances are, you are, you walk by somebody who is in real-life slavery and bondage today. Even in our own world, in our own backyard. May you not be a person that neglects the call of God over your life. That enters into materialism or gain or the joy of a shadow that you forget that there is something greater. And there are people right here in our cities that are captured and trapped, struggling. And so we're going to pray. And here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to pray for you, but we're going to pray for those right now that are captured. They need a real life exodus. We're going to pray that the spirit of generosity would flow in his, over this church. Spirit of generosity would flow. Spirit of love. Spirit of sharing and giving. And I pr I'm going to pray. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray this prayer over all of us, not just me. I'm going to pray that during this season that a supernatural discernment would flow everyone here. That wherever you would go, you would be uniquely and hypersensitive to the broken during this season. Including yourself. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. We pray right now for all of those that are captured. Lord, we pray for all of those, Lord God, that are in a place. That they feel like they're surrounded. That the darkness has crept in and there's no light. Their bodies are not just captured, but their minds are captured. They're in need of a deliverer. 
They're in need of a deliverance that this world cannot offer, that counseling cannot offer. Lord, we pray right where that, send us. Send us just to give love this, this season. Send us to bring a kind word. Come on, right where you're at, can you just send me, make me aware in this season. I, don't, I didn't plan on going into this Christmas season feeling depressed, but I want to enter into the reality of our world. Just right where you're at, make me aware. May I be kinder, may I be gentler, may I be a giver. And last thing, every head bowed and every eye closed, there's someone in here today, you are going through a type of darkness and bondage in your own life. And it may not be physical slavery, but your life or your circumstance may be surrounding you and the walls may be caving in and it feels like there's no way out. I want you to know that God hears, God sees, God remembers, God intervenes. And that no tear goes unheard, unseen, or unknown. That he has remembered his covenant with Abraham. And for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, we are part of that covenant too. There is deliverance for you. There is deliverance for your family. Deliverance for your marriage. Deliverance for your addiction. Deliverance for your attitude and your mind that seems trapped. So I pray for everyone here at Inspire in this Christmas season. As we walk through it. That we would cry out for our deliverer. Cry out for our family and our hearts and our minds. Pray a peace would come. Knowing that Christ has come and Christ has died and Christ has resurrected. And because he's done that, he, is, he has disarmed the enemy. And I pray that this Christmas season, we don't just walk into joy, but we walk into awareness. And we walk into freedom. So, Lord, I pray a blessing on everyone here, everyone in this house. Inspired Churches aims to be a church that the city loves. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon on Journey. Come back next week as Pastor Philip continues on the six-part series. For more information about how you can get involved or about our community, visit www.inspiredchurches.com.